0: Stories, awakening, possibility, social impact, creating a culture of compassion, connection and collaboration. You are listening to Hollyhock Talks, a podcast about the teachers and luminaries that make Hollyhock extraordinary. Hollyhock is Canada's leading leadership learning centre, located on Cortez Island. Hollyhock Talks brings a little piece of Hollyhock magic to you, wherever you are listening. This is Farah of Hollyhock Talks, and I'm delighted to be here with Robert Gass and Judith Ansara, who are teachers who integrate spiritual practice, psychology, organizational change, social action, and the arts. And they combine all these tools to lead couples in renewing their passion, communicating skillfully, and bringing more joy and pleasure into their relationships. I want to start. The two of you have been married for 48 years, which is remarkable. What are some of the key ingredients to a successful long-term relationship?
1: Hi, Farah, and hi, everybody listening. Uh, you know, one of the first things that we talk about, and between ourselves and with our students, is that the foundation of any good relationship, uh, long-term relationship, is actually committing to the relationship and committing to each other. That within the field of a clear choice, like, okay, I'm here, I'm with you. And what emerges from that, we actually weave a kind of safety for ourselves and for each other. And where a lot of couples get into trouble is that when there's a challenge or a difficulty they will in one way either overtly or covertly threat put put threat out into the field of like well I don't know that you can depend on me and for a committed relationship to thrive we actually have to build intentionally build that foundation of trust and reliability So that we can meet the challenges that any intimate partnership and just growing up through life uh, together and meeting the challenges of life will inevitably bring to us
2: yeah I mean we think that's really almost the foundation that's where it starts but the next thing is okay so we have this foundation uh, we've committed to each other you know I think a lot of couples sometimes think well okay now we just like go about our lives right and really it's not easy uh Judith and I have often kind of reflected on how different long term love relationships are than they used to be. It used to be that people came together to have children for economic security. Now people want them to be best friends, they want to be amazing lovers they want to be you know there's so much both demand on the primary relationships at the same time there's so many things in the world pulling people apart. Uh, 24-7 workdays where people could have their uh, cell phones all the time. Uh, so so many things pull couples apart. So in order to build in this foundation, the second thing that we think is really fundamental for a successful relationship is to treat it like a garden that needs to be tended. It actually asks that people know, actually, a good relationship doesn't just happen. Um, it will actually require uh, attention, consistent attention over time, to um, learn about each other, to learn what each other needs to be happy in a relationship, to learn about yourself, and then to cultivate some of the uh, the practices uh, of a successful relationship, and the image we often do use is a okay so we we 've sown the garden we 've put that commitment in place, and now what 's required in the way of careful and loving attending to that garden of relationship
0: so in terms of the you know, daily or regular watering of a relationship, are there different mechanisms that can be employed? I mean, for example, would a weekly date night or going out for a walk in nature together, or what are the specific, what does it look like?
1: We're, we're gesturing here as to who's gonna start responding to that. So first off, um, yes, of course, you know, in the course of busy lives, Making sure that we calendar in and agree on times where we know we can count on being together and where we can do things that are nourishing and connecting. So, yes, going for walks, having uh, a day, a week, an evening, a week, or part of a weekend, um where you know you can be together, finding shared activities, uh, having good conversations and learning the skills of good conversation. Uh, so many different ways that people have of doing that based on both individual and shared interests. So yes, I think it's a combination of the time together, the choices of how we spend that time together, as well as the just the daily interactions. Robert and I often like to talk about making love all the time, that we cultivate the capacity and the intention to bring kindness and care and affection to each other, not just on those special times when we have a date, but throughout those moments uh, in our lives so that we're feeding feeding the fire of our connection.
2: It's the quality of being together. So one could create the structures, you could have it all there. You could have the date nights, you could have nice vacations, but then of course you can have a terrible time with each other, you know, and, and what do you, how do you actually be with each other? And, you know, there's certain, certain ways of being that that work in certain ways that don't. Probably one of the most important ones is the quality of deep listening. It's the capacity to actually, uh, you can spend a lot of time in close proximity to each other and not actually connect. And one of the most important things in a couple relationship is that sense that, ah, this person is there for me, that they know me, that they hear me, that they feel me. And so cultivating the capacity to be present with your partner, And also to really hear, to really listen, to listen to the words and behind the words create that kind of beautiful sacred space where the other person feels safe and they can bring forth their heart to you, their, their dreams, their fears, their frustrations, and you are really there to hold them to receive that. That's the living. So uh, another way of thinking is, yeah, there's the noun of relationship like, oh, like I have a relationship. But in our work with each other and with the couples we work with, it's really cultivating the verb of relationship, that we're actually in relationship. In this moment, we are actually connecting, we're actually relating. that that's, that's the real thing. That's the essence mm-hmm. of relationship. Yeah, and that's, of course, what builds
1: the fabric over time is that we can count on each other to show up for each other. And um, that's so foundational. And so many couples, uh, Farah, don't make the time or they don't necessarily have the skills to have that time feel nourishing. A lot of couples also we find that they're busy, their work is demanding, they have kids, they're taking care of aging parents, they've got different interests and that they just thrive. If we could do two things, having people really listen to each other and cultivating and creating opportunity for people to enjoy, play, have fun together. I think that might be my be top good. two. That would that would change a lot of lives.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to go a little deeper into two things that I heard. One was how important listening is. The act of being present with another person and and listening and giving space and listening for what might be underneath the words. Is that one of the exercises or one of the things that you guide and facilitate people in doing during the retreat?
1: Absolutely, so we actually start off the retreat the first morning of the retreat, really teaching some foundational skills and letting people actually spend time in conversations that are really practiced, how do I show up, how do I be present. We literally take turns uh, with skilled guidance from us and our staff to have people really just be able to hear all the content that's up in them personally, that may be between them, that's happening in their life. So that's how our retreats actually start off. And then that skill gets developed and honed and practiced really throughout the time we're together. And it's a, an important practice for people to be able to take home.
2: The other side of it is, is showing up with the truth of who you are. Um, what happens is, is that, uh, particularly when there's not been good listening or there's been kind of um, you know, emotional challenges, people start becoming cautious about what to say and what not to say. And what happens is when we start holding back what we really think and feel in a relational field, it creates a deadness. Literally, it's like you're you're pulling yourself out of the relationship and kind of going off into your corner, kind of holding things back from each other. This is not about kind of being blindly, you know, dumping on your partner, but you need to be willing to kind of actually come forward with what you feel with what's authentic. And so those two skills go together like hand and glove, the skill of being able to listen and receive and deeply, your partner, which creates a space where your partner starts to feel safe to bring forth some of the things that might be hard to talk about because if they don't, intimacy is a, it's an energetic phenomenon. It's two human beings' hearts coming and joining and meeting. And so when either one or both start to close and pull back, that experience of connection, of intimacy, uh, it, 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 it's like a flame. It, the flame goes down, um, and which is why you see sometimes in long-term couples that spark that was there at the beginning, Starts fading. It's the lack of real connection, authentic heart to heart.
1: Hmm.
2: Nice, Robert.
1: And I would just, I think I'd add to that that um, one of the things as we teach good deep listening skills, which goes hand in hand or hand in heart with cultivating the capacity to just be present, is that some of us tend to be, as Robert was talking about, um, withdrawals, withdrawers, will kind of pull back into ourselves, we'll hold things in, we'll not articulate them. And then very often the other person in the couple will tend to feel unsafe because of that. And it's not like it starts anywhere, but the other person may become asking or telling or blurting in unskillful ways so that then that's how couple systems get going. And you're kind of feeding off each other Um, in that dance that doesn't actually cultivate connection. So we're really teaching the skills and in a sense in the workshops providing a context a safe space where people can show up practice, be together, listen and respond from a skillful place.
0: So I imagine when people have the safety to be authentic and honest and there may have been difficult challenges in a relationship, that there might be very difficult emotions that that come to the surface and are expressed? And what are the kinds of skills that are helpful when when difficult emotions are expressed and when difficult challenges come up?
1: Maybe we'll both respond to that in different ways. what first comes up to me for me is first of all we need in ourselves permission to feel and to welcome our feelings uh, which means having a space inside ourselves where you know if there's grief there if there's anger there if there's fear there we can actually allow ourselves to feel it to notice it The other thing that happens and where most of us get pretty off track is the story that we attach, the interpretation we attach to our emotional experience, which is when couples get into a lot of blame and trying to fix each other and making each other the cause of what we're feeling. So it's kind of a two-prong process. One is permission to welcome and feel And the other is really learning which we can talk about a little more but learning to be self-responsible and pull back the the blame and loosen the attachment to the story of how our suffering is completely our partner's fault and the stories we make about that
2: we really try to offer couples a way of thinking about their couple relationship as a path for their own awakening, for their own development, for their own personal and spiritual development, that you don't need to go to India to find your guru, that actually you're living with them. And so at the same time that we invite people to look at the emotions that rise, it's like, no, they're not actually caused by your partner. They're things that are arising in you and they're there for your own development and learning. And so we really do it just to kind of teach people skills for managing. Uh, emotions when they arise and we have a, a way of tools and processes for doing that at the same time we try to balance that with guiding people to see and celebrate the potential that's in their relationship uh we give them practices through movement through shared meditation through massage to get past all of that stuff at the same time to not get stuck at that level of like where the emotional triggers are but to actually be able to connect in a way that um that feeds that feeds both them that feeds the belief in the relationship that uh, creates positive energy that helps people to manage and learn to deal with the negative emotions that mm-hmm. endeavor arise in any intimate relationship. yeah you know,
1: often I'm thinking uh, when people are it's, are are fighting or feeling disconnected or feeling withdrawn, underneath that is the yearning both for safety and connection. and often, we dig ourselves in deeper into isolation and hurt um and frustration and anger and discouragement by getting caught up in the content in our own minds and the content with each other so what robert's referring to is sometimes we need to actually bypass that and remember hey you're my friend i love Mm you some stuff drives me absolutely crazy i know sometimes i drive you crazy too but i love you Let's just hold hands, go for a walk, drop the content, get connected, and then we'll see if there's something really useful that we want to share and talk about. Mm-hmm.
0: So one of the things that has been very helpful in in my relationship is uh, taking time for myself so that I have time to internally process my emotions and think about you know, undoing a story or narrative that is may not be entirely true. How important is personal reflection time or self-care or things that might be helpful in addition to the connection piece of it?
2: You know... We- We've been, at this, uh, we've been at this ourselves quite a long time, both in the earlier days in our relationship and in our, we've been doing workshops for 30, or 35 years. In our earlier workshops, it was much more focused on like out here in the field between the couples, we have gotta straighten things out and talk about it and talk about it. Uh, we, we sometimes make a joke. We spent the first 20 years learning how to process and the last 20 years learning how not to process quite so much, uh, both in our own relationships and in the teaching that we do. Yes, there's a lot that needs to get worked out between the two of you. But a lot of the work we do also is helping people pull back from the relational confusion and context back into themselves, finding their own source inside themselves of a place of clarity, of a place of groundedness, of a place of feeling more whole inside themselves, and then bringing that back, bringing that new wisdom, as you said, reflection, bringing that clarity, bringing that connection back to the relationship rather than thinking, I'm not going to feel okay until I get this straightened out here, out there wait a minute, let me come back and find my okayness inside myself and bring my okayness to my partner. Um, and that, that's that been very uh, a real learning for us over the decades and one that we try to help uh, our, our people that come to work with us also. I'm
1: feeling a little playful right now. I'm thinking of an example of how that that might play out. So the difference between me coming at my partner and saying, you never want to do anything that I initiate. You know, you're just... If, if you're going to do, you know, if you want to do something, fine. But if I initiate, um, you're not, you don't want to play. That's not an attractive invitation, right? It doesn't feel very enrolling. <laughs> so, Robert's laughing. That happened once uh, in it, 1973, I think. Maybe once, <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, but if I go take that time and I feel like, oh, I'm feeling lonely. Where is that loneliness? and I get to a place of clarity in myself, oh, I really want to invite Robert in a different way, and I want to invite my partner to join me. And then when I'm clear in myself, I can bring a much more attractive invitation. I can say, you know, honey, the last three Saturdays I invited you to take a bike ride down to the farmer's market, and you just said no. And I noticed felt lonely and hurt, and I would really enjoy that. Would you be willing, I know it's you'd rather go out to the mountains, but that would be really nourishing and fun for me. Would you be willing to join me? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm creating an invitation that has a very different kind of quality and feel to it, much, much more attractive to join.
0: So on that note, let's talk about the importance of movement, play, uh, and practices that are shared interests, things like that. What are the kinds of things that you do at the Hollyhock Retreat that get people started and create the momentum for fun and Well, you named,
2: you named a lot of them. We, um, we use movement a lot. We specialize, particularly Judith, as a, gift, as a real gift at uh, people who are dance-phobic, um, <laughs> helping them find the joy of using their bodies and connecting through, through guided movement. We sometimes deliberately don 't call it dancing, uh, but it 's uh, you know to give people experience of we are embodied beings, right and you can kind of like talk yourselves to death in relationship, but it 's actually really helpful to let your bodies your physical bodies connect and find the intimacy there so of course we do that directly through dancing, um, but also through uh, our teaching on sexuality and sacred sexuality, uh, we spend several evenings really doing some beautiful uh, teachings on um, how to use your bodies as instruments of loving and connect your energy and breath um, and your bodies to create almost a new paradigm uh, for what lovemaking uh, can make. Uh, we encourage people, we we do a shared massage, you know, half an hour each way. People uh, really, because what happens is um, when it's not clear who's giving and receiving, sometimes people bump a lot, but we find when the couples it's really clear, oh, it's my job really to give for half an hour, and oh, I get to actually receive. It's such a simple thing, and uh, boy, looking at the couples after ha- that exchange is a, a delightful experience. Mm-hmm. And of course, Hollyhock, as you know, lends itself also. We give you know the time off to watch the couples going for walks down the beach or taking a hot tub together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that you've you've covered a lot of it, Robert. So there's these conversations and practices that are deeply exploratory of things like self-responsibility and skillful communication and our emotional triggers and how to work skillfully with them, how to be present. And then we really weave throughout the week these times of connection. And I will say this is one of the the benefits of being in a guided space is, you know, the leaders put on music and says, turn to your partner and we're going to have a slow dance. And people who would never dream of doing that are up doing it and feeling deeply nourished and connected. And it's not about being a skilled dancer. It's about, as Robert said, being in our bodies and bringing that presence and connection and reassurance and play and fun to each other.
2: We, we, leave, a lot, we leave a lot of play through our retreats. It, it, it's sort of a nice balance between the two.
0: Sounds really wonderful. You're making it very enticing.
2: <laughs> Maybe you'll come. <laughs> yes, and then you also, I was thinking the also, same. You <laughs> you you also get fed the glorious food of hollyhock, and you don't have to clean up either. You, you both, <laughs> it's a great treat for couples.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about how sometimes there's a two way, mutual, beneficial exchange that happens when when people are in a teaching role and there are people who are in a learning role. Have you found that you also learn a lot from the students and the couples when they share with you and experience what they do on retreat?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we have the, the template of the two of us. And then our, our work over decades um, with students, both individually and in couples, has always informed, yes, there's always um, more and more learning and more and more circumstances. And I do want to also say a couple of things. One is we have a couple of absolutely amazing staff um, this summer, Uh, we do every year, who do individual work with couples so that it's not just Robert and me, um, but we've got like I don't, not quite a SWAT team, it's like a team of angels, actually, who, who come in, who are really tracking students closely and giving them attention, and all of us collectively learning through that process. And I think the other thing that's probably worth saying, because we hear this a lot, um, there's a lot of laughter in these workshops, and a lot of the laughter is that we've learned to laugh at ourselves. And... We share, I think, more transparently than most teachers, at least we're told about that, about our foibles and our challenges and how we fell down and how we learned what we're teaching. Um, And we're quite transparent about that. Um, We're not setting ourselves up as like we're the icons and we know how to do this perfectly. We're sharing the journey that we've been on. And uh, after people have heard our stories, it's almost like, Wow, if they did that, we could probably do that, too.
2: I was just adding on, yes, that they, they can kind of look at us and say, well, boy, I'm not as screwed up as I thought it was. There's, there's hope for us, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's very nourishing to and satisfying to do the work that you do. If there's one thing that you hope people will take away from the retreats, what is that one thing?
1: I mean, in essence, I think for me, maybe we'll have different answers, it would be having had an experience of what's possible, of deep connection, of sharing, of really being on the same page. We often talk about this notion of the sacred third, that the relationship is a living entity, and that we both feed the fire of that, which helps us get out of the me-you Um, paradigm that often leaves us feeling separate. Um, So an experience of that and then a commitment to take that home and work with the practices and not just have it have been a interesting or even wonderful week but to take it and start to weave it into their lives.
0: It's been wonderful to listen to the two of you speak and to feel inspired Uh, by the work that you do. I do hope that I have a chance to come with my partner to one of your retreat. Maybe not this year, I think our schedules are, our retreats are already booked, but I'm hoping that it will be on the agenda in the future. So thank you so much.
1: That would be lovely,
2: Sarah.
0: Thanks for the conversation. Look forward to meeting you.
2: Yeah, good to talk with you.
0: Stories, awakening, possibility, social impact creating a culture of compassion, connection, and collaboration. You are listening to Hollyhock Talks, a podcast about the teachers and luminaries that make Hollyhock extraordinary. Hollyhock is Canada's leading leadership learning centre located on Cortez Island. Hollyhock Talks brings a little piece of Hollyhock magic to you wherever you are listening.